Good morning again, everyone. Glad that you're here this morning. You know, we we should be wide awake because we had an extra hour of sleep, but sometimes when, when you fall back, it's like, like it's crazy. Uh, I don't know, but... Um, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. All right, starting in verse 1, we read, So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. The title of my message this morning is the greatest power of all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together as your church to open up your word, knowing, Lord God, that you're going to speak to our hearts through your word. You have something to say to each one of us personally, Lord, also corporately as a church. We praise you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, for how powerful your word is to change our lives and draw us closer into our relationship with you. And we do pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to uh, have their sin forgiven, to be born again, to have this relationship with you. We pray that you would especially touch their heart this morning. So we thank you for our time together. We commit it to you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The Marvel movies that are out today, they're, they're very popular. I admit I am a Marvel fan. I've followed all of them as they've come out. And, uh, you know, they're always introducing some new superhero. They got some new superpower, and it's all about, you know, their power. The latest is Captain Marvel, and, and it's, it's a she. She's supposedly going to be the one, the most powerful Avenger or whatever, and of course she'll be, have superhuman strength, and, and she'll save the day in the end. Then you have characters like the Incredible Hulk, you know, and his power to get incredibly angry and smash things. I don't know if that makes you a, a superhero. I think it kind of makes you a criminal, I, I think. I'm just saying. Then, of course, you have Ant-Man and Spider-Man. Both are superpowers of a bug, uh, which they probably shouldn't hang around Hulk because Hulk likes to smash things, and so they get their powers smashed. But obviously, it's all make-believe. But it caters to our society today because people are looking for someone with some super ability to make this world a better place. Little do they know that Jesus is really the only superhero this world has ever needed. His power, the power to forgive sin. God's forgiveness, more powerful than the locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, able to reach the hardest of hearts with one single word. 
God's forgiveness, more powerful, uh, I, I already said that, uh, which no money can buy, you know, no good deeds can be received by grace through faith. It's the ultimate weapon against the evil that's in this world today. The power to take away the guilt and the shame and the sin in people's lives. There's a famous a psychiatrist named Carl Menninger that said, once said, if he could convince his patients in the psychiatric hospital that their sins were forgiven, 75% would walk out the next day. That's how many people are troubled by the, the guilt over their, and shame over their sin. Well, in our text this morning, we find that Jesus is going to display the power to forgive sin in a mighty and a powerful way. It's the story of the healing of a paralytic. You can find the same story in Luke chapter 5 and Mark chapter 2. We've been going so far in, in the Gospel of Matthew. We have pointed out Jesus' power over sickness. We pointed out Jesus' power over the storms. Jesus' power over demons, over Satan. And now we see this morning his power over sin. As we've pointed out as well, Matthew's Gospel is the Gospel of the King. In the first four chapters, we see Jesus' person being revealed. Chapters 5 through 7, we saw his principles being uh, recorded the Sermon on the Mount. And now, chapters 8 through 10, his power is revealed. So with that as a way of introduction, we read now, look at verse 1. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Now, if you stop there for a moment, remember what had been going on. Jesus had been on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. He had just delivered a couple of men that were possessed by demons, and, and uh, he was run out of town because he cast this legion of demons into this herd of swine that they shouldn't have been raising in the first place. And as a result, some 2,000 pigs, demon pigs, went flying over the cliffs to the depths. And we saw last week, this was the first case of deviled ham. Hashtag, when pigs fly. You know, we saw all of that. Well, the people in the Gergesenes, they didn't like it. They didn't like that he upset their, you know, their pig business. And they said, go away, Jesus, we don't want you here. Well, Jesus isn't going to stay where he's not welcome. So again, we read in verse 1, he came to his own city. Now, that's not a reference to Nazareth. Rather, it's a reference to Capernaum, the place where it uh, really became the pace of operation for Jesus' ministry. He pretty much set up home base there. Probably, you know, starting, you know, with staying with Peter at Peter's house. We, we don't know for sure, but there's a good chance that the story that we re- read took place in Peter's house because we know before they went across the other side of the Galilee, he had, he had healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. So it's a good guess that this took place in Peter's house. Even though, uh, even so, some fill the synagogue of Capernaum because of the scribes and the Pharisees being there that would indicate more of a public place. But nevertheless, what is happening is that Jesus is teaching and because of his popularity, now especially being back in Capernaum where he's done already so many miracles already, now hundreds of people are gathered around. They want to hear. They want to see Jesus. They, they, they want to see what he can do. And we know from other Gospels that there were four men that decided to bring this paralyzed man to come to, to see Jesus. And so they have him on a stretcher on a mat, and they're carrying him. Now, verse 2, all we read is, Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, I've taught this story many times before, but I want to look at it from a different perspective. I want to look at it from Jesus' perspective of what Jesus saw. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. What Jesus saw when he looked up, number one. Number two, what Jesus saw when he looked down. Number three, what Jesus saw when he looked around. Number one, what Jesus saw when he looked up. Well, he saw four men. 
he saw four persistent men who were carrying their friend on a mat to see Jesus. And again, we know from the other Gospels that there were four of them who brought the friend of Jesus to be healed. But, but when they got there, they couldn't even get close to the house because there were so many people there. Now, the houses back then at that time, they had these flat roofs, and, and some of them had a type of patio deck on the roof. So a lot of times, there was a staircase you can go up to get to the roof of the house. And so somehow, in their determination, they made their way through the crowd. Maybe when they got to the house, some of the people might have said, ah, oh, you know, we're packed. Maybe come back another time. You know, we're too crowded. Go away. But the four said, no way. We are going to get him in to see Jesus if, the, if, the, if it's the last thing we do. So they make their ways up, up the stairs, they get to the roof, and again, the roofs were different there than they are today. Back then, they had these, they would lay out these boards, and they would lay out palm branches on the boards, and then they would put these, you know, mud on top of that, and, and all over it, and it would be fairly easy to break through. It would dry and get hard, and actually they would build them about two feet thick, and, and so, what we read is that they actually start tearing apart this roof. Now, Jesus is sitting there, and, he, and he's teaching, and the place is packed, and he's probably teaching about the kingdom of God, and, and suddenly, can you imagine, all of a sudden, he starts to hear this noise. Uh, you know, things, things start coming down, and, and you know, crackling, maybe some dust, and, Jesus, and the kingdom of God is, and this dust comes down, and all that. And Now, if it, were, if it were Peter's house, what do you think Mrs. Peter's thinking right about now? <laughs> Just think about that. Here's Jesus is in my house. I don't have enough hors d'oeuvres for all these people. Now someone's breaking in through the roof. Peter? Peter? You know, and maybe Peter's going, calm down, calm down, hon. I know it looks bad, but we've saved hundreds of dollars on our insurance by switching the Geico, and, and we're going to be just, just fine. But picture the scene. Again, the noise is coming down from the ceiling, and, and dust and mud begin to fall, and there's dust everywhere, and suddenly there's this big hole in the, in the roof, and, and the sunlight starts shining through, and all of a sudden, four heads pop out, and they're looking down, and, hey, what's up? Uh, you know, and they pull their heads back, and all of a sudden, this cot, and they're, they're lowering this man on this, this cot, and paralyzed and laying on it. Now, that's what we all would have seen if we were there, you know, in the house at that time. But what did Jesus see when he looked up and saw these men? Well, the first thing he saw, I saw three things. The first thing he saw was he saw their love. He saw their love. Think about that. They brought their friend to Jesus because they cared about him. If they didn't care about him, they wouldn't have brought him to Jesus. So because of their love for their friend, they were motivated to bring him to Jesus Christ. Listen, we need to have that same kind of love and attempt to bring our family, our friends to Jesus Christ. We should be motivated by love to bring others to Jesus. Such a love for Christ and such a love for those around us that we would do whatever it takes to introduce them to Jesus Christ. You know, bring in your dad or your mom or your brother or your sister or friends or your children. Do whatever it takes for them to come to know Jesus as Lord and as Savior. To be in constant prayer for their salvation of their souls. Well, these four men, because of their love for their friend, were motivated by love to bring him to Christ. So Jesus looked up and he saw their love. Secondly, Jesus looked up and he saw their conviction. Their conviction. Their conviction was that they knew that Jesus was their, their only hope for their friend. They had love. They had conviction that their friend needed Jesus Christ. Now, it may have been that these guys were just friends, or they could have been relatives. They might have been four brothers. The, the Bible doesn't say, but it certainly says it shows us that they had a conviction that if they could get their friend in to see Jesus, he could meet his need. It was their only hope. You know, we need in evangelism and in seeking to bring others to Jesus, we need to be firmly convinced 
ourselves of the truth taught in Scripture that man's only hope for salvation is in Jesus Christ. No other name given among men whereby men must be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, if we really believe that, I mean, think about that. If we really believe that and we really care about people, then what should we do? Get them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Do all that we can to see that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, even if we have to tear apart roofs to bring them to Jesus. Now, we have plenty of room in here. You don't have to tear apart roofs in, in, in the church here, but just get them in the doors. See, not only could Jesus see their love, he could see their conviction. But the third thing we know, that when Jesus looked up, he also saw their faith. He saw their faith. Notice in verse 2, we read, Jesus saw their faith. And you might want to underline their faith. See, Jesus didn't just see the faith of the paralyzed man. He saw the faith of the four that carried him in there as well. And you know, at times when Jesus would heal someone, he would say, according to your faith, be made whole. And the person was healed. Other times, Jesus, seeing other people's faith, would allow a healing. And even other times, at the tomb of Lazarus, for example, it was nobody's faith. I mean, you know, Mary and Martha were weeping in unbelief, and, and Lazarus was dead. So whose faith was that all about? My point is, you can't put divine healings in a box. God chooses to heal some and chooses not to heal others. When the Apostle Paul prayed three times that the Lord would take away his thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment that he had that Paul was suffering from, God said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, God in his sovereignty knows what exactly each person needs and what's best for each person. And I love Paul's response. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There's nothing that bothers me more than when so-called Christians tell a disabled person, you do not have enough faith and that's why you're not healed. I want to say, well, what about your faith? You know, I mean, don't you have enough faith for them to be healed? It says here that Jesus saw all their faith, all the four plus the paralyzed man. Now, how is it that when Jesus looked up that he saw their faith? Well, the Bible tells us faith, you know, is seen by our works. That's what James tells us in James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. When these guys were working really hard to tear apart that roof to get their friend to Jesus because they knew that Jesus could heal him, that Jesus could do a work. And, and Jesus recognized that. They really have faith. So they had love, they had conviction, and they had faith. They believed that Jesus Christ could heal and would heal, and, and, and they would not let difficult circumstances discourage them. And I think if were you or I, you know, I think if it were me, I'd go, man, I, we should have got here earlier. You know, we should have been there when the doors were open, when nobody was there. If only we would have got here earlier, let's just leave. You know, and, and, and it's crazy to me, and, and especially this time of year, when the time changes and all that, fall back and we get a whole extra hour. I am more rushed when I have more extra hours of sleep than, than, than when I don't. It's like, oh man, I'm going to be late. I'm getting to hurry. So that they, they maybe right away thought, hey, you know, we, we, we'll just go, we'll come back another day. But not these guys. I mean, they had faith and they had persistence. You know, it's not easy getting people to Jesus. Whenever you begin in love and in conviction to share Jesus is the only way and in faith seek to win people to Jesus Christ and you actively engage in evangelism, 
Satan is not going to sit by idly and do nothing. He will oppose you. When you say, Lord, I'm going to pray for my family, I'm going to witness to my family, I'm going to share the gospel at work, understand you're picking a fight with the enemy. The devil takes notice and he'll try to do whatever he can to discourage you or distract you. That's why the battle is won on our knees, praying first for those that that don't know the Lord to come to Christ, and then our actions, doing whatever we can to not give in to the enemy, but to stand strong in Christ and bring others to him. So again, these four men, they had love, that conviction, faith, you know, wanting to bring their, their friend to Jesus. And, and, and they had a creative faith. I mean, wouldn't you say that? I, I mean, who would ever think of tearing apart their roof to get their friend in front of Jesus? I can almost imagine you know, the, the scene there and having all this dust all over him and, and Jesus with this big smile on his face, just standing there in amazement. Maybe there's some mud you know, down his shoulders. And I'm absolutely convinced that Jesus was delighted to see uh, what was going on here. He wasn't upset. They had faith. They had persistent faith. That creative faith. They had sacrificial faith. You know, that, that's one of the greatest needs in the church today. That we have love, conviction, faith, faith that's persistent, creative, but sacrificial. I think for most of us, it's easy for us as church to get so busy doing church things. And they're good things. You know, men's and women's studies are good things. Fellowship nights are good things, you know. But sometimes it can take away from the priority of reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. That's why we need to pray, Lord, give me a consuming love for the lost. Give me the conviction that you are the only hope and that I need to bring them to you. Give me faith to believe that you can heal them and save them. And Lord, help me to be persistent. Help me not to get deterred out of the way. And Lord, show me some creative way that I can be an instrument to reach them with your love. Help us, Lord, as a church to be creative and able to reach out to our community and help them come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, what can I do? What sacrifice can I make to help bring people to know you, Jesus? These four men understood what was important. But too many Christians are more interested, I think, in, in the worship service and, the, and, and rather than the people. They're more interested in the, in, the, in the lights and the fog machines rather than the lostness of the sinner. We need to be open to reaching the lost with conviction and determination and love and faith that Jesus Christ alone can meet their needs. I like uh, that Jerry Vines in his commentary of this portion of Scripture actually gives these four men names. Of the four friends, he calls the first guy Frank Faith. He says Frank Faith was one of them who believed that Jesus Christ could heal him. Second was Harry Hope, and he had believed that Jesus would heal him. And the third guy carrying his friend was Larry Love. Larry Love had such a concern for his friend that he wanted to get him to Jesus. And the fourth man's name was Dan Determination. And he was determined no matter what, we will get him to Jesus. You know, we need some Frank Faiths and Harry Hopes and Larry Loves and Dan Determinations in the church today. We need men and women like this who are determined and they have a love and a faith and a hope that Jesus Christ can meet men's needs. Because we all know that we live in, in, in a sick and sinful, lost and dying world. And our evil arch enemy, the, the devil and his cohorts are wreaking havoc upon this earth and the, and the only hope is Jesus Christ. This world so needs Jesus. There's only one individual that can change men's hearts from the inside out and make them new, and that is Jesus. And if we really love people, and if we really believe that, then we will be determined and, and with conviction to do all we can to bring others to Christ. Let me say this. If you have some spiritually needy person in your life or family or friend that needs Jesus' healing touch, 
You need to bring him. Invite him to Jesus Christ. So number one, what Jesus saw when he looked up. He saw their love, their determination, and their faith. But there's a second thing that Jesus saw, and this is our second point, what Jesus saw when he looked down. So he looked up, saw four persistent men, but when he looked down, now he just sees one paralyzed man. Look at verse 2 of Matthew chapter 9. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, I love that. It is just so great. Jesus looked at this paralyzed man and saw more than an outward visible suffering. He saw uh, an inward invisible need of forgiveness that he had. And he says to him, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Do you know the only other times the phrase be of good cheer is used in the New Testament? Guess who is speaking? Jesus. It's always Jesus. Eight times in the New Testament, Jesus says, be of good cheer. When he was walking on water and the disciples were afraid, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, he said, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. When he was about to, 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 to be crucified, he said in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In our next study together, the woman with the issue of blood, he says to her in verse 22 of chapter 9 here, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. You know, it's kind of like a superhero slogan, you know. There is no need to fear. Underdog is here. This is a, be of good cheer. Jesus is here. He's here with the power to heal. He's here with the power to save. That should thrill us to know what Jesus can do. Now, imagine for a moment you're this paralyzed man. How long you've been paralyzed, we don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us other than your legs don't work and all that comes along with that. And maybe as a result of some sin in your life, again, we don't know. We're not told that. But the word on the street was that this Jesus was coming and there's been so much talk about how he can heal the sick and cast out demons and, and heal those with leprosy. But, but could he? I mean, would he touch my legs? Would, would he touch my paralysis? Maybe there was hope. So his buddies got in there, but then they couldn't get in, but going home was not an option, so they climbed to the roof, bore through the ceiling, and now you're being lowered. You're on this cot, you're being lowered to this roof, now you're laying there right in front of Jesus. Could you imagine? Your heart just pounding in your chest. You make it to the floor. Jesus is now looking down at you. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? I know he could heal uh, if he can do this, if it's his will, but will he? And out comes the words from Jesus' mouth. Be of good cheer. Wow, this is it. The healing is coming. Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait, what? (laughs) What does that mean? What's forgiveness when your legs don't work? Where's the healing? I need the healing. How often in our own pain have we been tempted to wonder the same thing, to want the same thing with, with chronic pain in our bodies, with disabilities and heartaches in our homes, with, with dashed hopes and broken dreams. We wonder why Jesus just doesn't, doesn't heal us all. Why does it, doesn't take care of that? In those times of deepest pain, we say, why, Lord, why arthritis? Why cancer? Why autism? Why divorce? Why this loss? Why this grief? Why am I not healed? Listen, as much as we think that that healing may be our greatest need, it's not. The greatest need for this paralyzed man was not the use of his legs, but the revival of his soul. Jesus gave him something far better than limb resurrection. He gave him soul rebirth. 
But in all actuality, the fact that Jesus said, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven, it would indicate that this man had a deep longing for something greater than a physical healing. Whether people recognize it or not, I believe that the deepest longing for man's soul is to be clean before God, to be right with God. David prayed in Psalm 51, 1 and 2, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, so often we misinterpret what our real need is. Someone who hasn't experienced the forgiveness of God may think, all I need is if I just had a little more money, then, then, then I'll be happy, then everything would be okay. If I just had a, a better looking husband, then I'd be happy. If I had a better looking wife, I'd be, I'd be the happiest person on earth. If I could just get married, then I'd be happy. Or if we just had children, then we'd be happy. Or if the children were just grown and out of the house, then I'd really be happy. If I was just healed of this or that, then I'd be happy. And we think, well, that's, that's my greatest need. Listen, whatever you think your greatest need is, Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him is the greatest need. Because in Him we have everything that we need. Everything. I love the way Psalm 23 reads in the New, Te- in the New Living Translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Isn't that great? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Listen, to have our sins forgiven, that's everything. That, that, that's all we need. I will never forget the experience of, of having my sin forgiven, forgiven of having the, the guilt taken away, uh, of praying and giving my life to the Lord and knowing that my heart was right before God, that I was clean, that all of my sins, passed, they were forgiven. I, 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 I'm new, new man in Christ. I literally felt a weight lifted off of my shoulders and, and cleanness inside and just the joy of knowing that my sin is forgiven. Do you know that that word for forgiveness actually means to send away to send away. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16, they would have these two goats. And they would offer for sacrifice. One goat for, would be slain for sin. The other goat would be called the scapegoat. And the priest would put his hands on the scapegoat and he would pronounce his sins on the people. And that goat, then they would release that goat into the hills and let him go. So that when that goat took off down the road, it was a reminder that your sins have been sent away. Now, if a goat turned around and started to come back, I think I'd take some rocks and start going, get out of here, get out of here, you know. But it's like, yes, my, my sin is gone, you know. The goat took off, it was gone. I heard a story about some missionaries who were working with an Eskimo tribe in Alaska. And they found out that this Eskimo tribe had no word for the word forgiveness in their language. So they struggled for months on how to convey this meaning of the word forgiveness to this tribe of Eskimos. Finally, they discovered that they did have a word that meant to forgive. It was forget, to completely forget. So that when they translated their Bible and when they preached, instead of using the word God forgives us, they used the word God forgets all of our sins. I like that because that's what God's word says. Your sins and your iniquity I will remember no more. Now your friends may remember and, and want to talk to you about it and pull you back into it. And you're, 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 you, know, you may even talk about them, but, but God's not going to bring them back to you. You know, the Bible says that God takes our sins and He separates them from as far as the east is from the west. So far as I've removed your transgressions from you, He says. So why do you keep feeling guilt? Why do you keep bringing, you know, that condemnation over past sins in your life? Jesus alone can meet man's deepest needs. And, and Jesus, before He healed this man, notice this, He says, you need your sins forgiven. 
Listen, if Jesus would have uh, just healed the man and not forgiven him, then that man would have eventually died and gone to hell for all eternity. Mark 8.36 tells us, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So you can get a new wife, you can get a new husband, better looking one, a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, a, a new look, a new job, a new bank account. But then you die and go to hell. Big deal. You'll be the best looking, richest man with the nicest looking wife in hell. What good is that to you? You gain the world, but you lose your soul. It profits you nothing. Jesus met this man's greatest need. And you know why it was his greatest need? Because sin is absolutely horrible. It's horrible. You know, as Christians, we need to remember just how horrible sin is, what sin does. Sin separates us from God. Sin crucified the Son of God. Sin made necessary His death. Sin will damn your soul to hell for all eternity. It's a destructive force and is very damaging. And, and, and we, see, we need to see the sinfulness of sin. I think one of the problems in our world and our, our country today is that people don't see their sin because the world is so busy misdiagnosing and, and deceiving man's need. The world says, oh, what you need is, is counseling, or, or you need this psychological help, or you need this medication, you need, the, you need this psychotherapy. You know, it's like the world saying, well, you need these new clothes and new shoes, and if you just put on a new suit on a man, he won't commit crimes anymore. Because, you know, you educate him, give him a degree, and he'll live a, a good life. You know, that's not true. Man's greatest need is that of forgiveness, for their sin to be forgiven. Listen, if you have a stream that from its source is polluted, what good does it do you to go 10 miles downstream and try to clean up the stream down there? You've got to get to the source. You know, you've got a, a polluted river and you're trying to clean 10 miles down from the source of pollution. It's not going to work. Get to the source. If you go to a doctor and, 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 and they only treat the symptoms, then he's not a good doctor. Find out why they're having these problems. Treat the source, not the symptom. But our society has failed to properly diagnose or at least superficially diagnose man's disease so that they're wrong about the remedy. It's all we need, different laws. We need gun control. If we get rid of guns, there'll be no more violence. No, you'd have to get rid of baseball bats and, and butter knives and box cutters. And Where are you going to stop? You see, as we've been looking at in our recent studies, the heart of the problem, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Get rid of the guns and bats. Get rid of all those things, but you still have a sinful heart. Man is sinful. And I believe that this paralyzed man is a picture of all of mankind. How the world needs Jesus. It's destroying us as a nation. Sin is destroying us as a nation. And when America ceases to be good, you've heard this in Galilee, that America ceases to be great. We need to turn our hearts back to God. We need to elect godly men and women, but more than that, we need forgiveness of sins. We need to get our friends to Jesus. Again, Jesus says, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Have you experienced the forgiveness of sin? Forgiveness that is complete, is permanent, that is here and now and absolute, that is eternal. If not, I pray that you do so this morning. So number one, what Jesus saw when he looked up, he saw their love, their determination, and their faith. What Jesus saw when he looked down, he saw that the man's deepest needs were that of forgiveness and he forgave them. Finally, number three, what Jesus saw when he looked around. Verses three through eight, Jesus looked around the room and, and, and he saw the hard, critical, unbelieving hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the ones that truly had paralyzed hearts. Look at verses three through eight. 
And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. That's a great... Jesus, he looks around the room and, and he sees the real paralyzed people, the, the real hard-hearted people, the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and it's interesting to me, the only one in this whole story who actually spoke audibly is Jesus. The only recorded words that were actually spoken were Jesus' words. But, but because Jesus knows all things, he knows exactly what they were thinking. And they were thinking in their hearts. Pharisees only think in their hearts why this man speaks blasphemy. Now, why would they say that? Well, because only God can forgive sins. And by Jesus saying, your sins are forgiving, he was making himself equal with God. Presuming only to do what God is able to do, forgive sins. And by the way, let me emphasize the fact that the church cannot confer the forgiveness of sins, nor can the Pope, nor can priests, or any human being can forgive your sins. God alone is the one that forgives us of our sins. So Jesus turns to these guys and he says, why are you thinking these evil thoughts in your heart? Can you imagine that? Why are you thinking these evil thoughts in your heart? How do you know what we're thinking? How, you know? And then he proposes a test in verse 5. For which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? Now both are just as easy to say. But only one can be verified, and that is, you know, to rise and walk. If I walked up to you and said, your sins are forgiven you, and you said, Thanks. I mean, how would you know that really happened? But if a layman is lying there and I say, Mr. Paraplegic, take up your mat and walk, then you're going to know in just a matter of moments whether or not I have the power or not to, to only heal, but to forgive sins as well. See, in order for Jesus to convince these Jews that he was who he said he was, God who can forgive sins, they had to see this man healed. Because every sickness... They always believe that every sin was a direct result of, or cause of sickness, which is not. They're wrong in that thinking. Yes, ultimately sickness is, is coming to this world because of sin, but, but if you're sick today, it's not necessarily because of some horrible sin that you've done. Sometimes God does use that in our lives, but, but we live in a fallen world. And one day we're going to be given new redeemed bodies, and, and, uh, and, and amen to that, I say, because the older I get, I can hardly wait, but... But Jesus says in verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I mean, to give proof that I have the most amazing power there is, the power to forgive sins, he stops right there and looks at the man who's lying there and says right to his face, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. In the Gospel of Luke it says, immediately he stood up, rolled up his mat, and walked out. I like that. Okay. All right, I'm out the door. I mean, how awesome this is. Just puts his, the mat under his arm. He's got this big smile on his face. Forgiveness is in his heart. He's a new man in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. What a scene. Now think about how excited the four guys were that brought their friend there. I mean, I bet they were hugging each other and, and, and crying and, and jumping up and down and thinking, wow, this is so cool. We don't have to carry him all the way back to the house after all this. He can walk for himself. No, they were thrilled because he was forgiven. He was healed. In this miracle of Jesus, Jesus proved that he has the power to forgive sins. He proved it. 
proves that, that Jesus Christ is God, then He alone has the authority and the power to forgive your sins, which is our greatest need. He says, we close and get ready to enter into communion. Do you know that you know that your sins are forgiven? Let me tell you this. Do you know that until you're forgiven of your sin and you're born again and a child of God, you can never live a life that pleases God? You can never serve God in the energy of your flesh. You need to have your sin forgiven. You need to be born again. You need to have eternal life. You need a touch of Jesus Christ. This man left that place with his bed under his arm and a clean heart. How are you going to leave this morning? Will you leave here with a clean heart? The psalmist said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. That should be our prayer. That should be our desire. Have you experienced the forgiveness of sins? Forgiveness that is complete, that is permanent, that is here and now and absolute, that is eternal. I read a story about a little boy who had done something wrong and had written on a little chalkboard, Mommy, I'm so, so sorry. Please forgive me. If you forgive me, erase this. And a few hours later, he came back in the kitchen and his mom had taken an eraser and erased the blackboard completely. His mom had forgiven him. It's so wonderful when we say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross, we're forgiven. Our sins are erased. Though they are as red as scarlet, we are now as white as snow. He cleanses us of all of our sins. And there's nothing anymore between our soul and our Savior but His blessed face that we can see. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're in pain. You've been suffering physically and have asked God to heal you and as of yet, He has not. Now, he may be saying to you, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Though your health and wellness and legs be anchored to the floor, Christ has given us more than new legs. He's given us a new heart, a new hope, a new future. He's given up Himself upon that cross. As a result, He shall not spare us anything for our ultimate good. And ultimately in heaven, all things will be made new. We'll get our new bodies in heaven, ultimately. So keep your eyes on the Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. He will complete that work in each one of us. So we're going to close and enter in a time of communion. And, and, and really, communion is... It's about going back to the cross. Going back to that moment when Jesus took the penalty of our sins. We're invited to remember just what He's done for us. You see, for Jesus to heal this paralyzed man, all He had to do was speak the Word. But for Jesus to forgive this man, He had to die upon the cross. The Bible says in Romans 5.19, Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners but because one other person obeyed God, many people will be made, made right in God's sight. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5.17, The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So whatever your need here is this morning, come to Jesus with it. If you need forgiveness, if you need salvation, come to Him He'll forgive you of your sin because He went to the cross for you. If you need a physical healing, you know, the Bible says that by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. Now, that certainly speaks of, of that spiritual healing of our sins, but if you have a physical need, a physical healing, there's nothing wrong. This is the time to ask the Lord, would you heal me physically? Maybe you're plagued with guilt and sin from a past sin in your life. And God has said, I've forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, I put that sin from you. But you keep bringing it up and you keep living under this guilt and shame of sin. Come before the Lord and let it go this morning. Say, I'm, I, I'm done. Lord, I'm going to believe your word and you remember this no more. I'm not going to remember it anymore.
Bible says if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. So let the past sins go. Get right with the Lord as we come to the cross and remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace because that's what this is all about. None of us deserve to have our sin forgiven. None of us deserve life, eternal life. But Lord, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for each one of us. That by believing in him, we can have our sin forgiven and eternal life. And Lord, as we prepare for communion this morning, we know that communion is a time for Christians to celebrate the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they've yet to have the forgiveness of their sin, Lord, would you especially touch their heart right now so they would come to know you and have that sin forgiven and they can participate in communion with us together. Lord, that they would say, Lord, I need you in my life. I need my sin forgiven. Forgive me. Lord, we know that you answer that prayer. So, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that needs to have that forgiveness for salvation, Lord, that they would do so now. And, Lord, I pray, maybe there's some of us that need the forgiveness for for some sins, Lord, that we just committed last week or yesterday or this morning on the way to church, Lord. We know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess it to you. And so we confess it, Lord. We do blow it. We've had blown it. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to the cross and find forgiveness and healing and hope. Lord, we do pray for physical healing. If there's any need for physical healing, Lord, we ask you right now that you would touch physically those that have problems with, with legs or hearts or lungs or livers or whatever, Lord. Whatever it is, we pray that you'd touch and you'd heal. You are a great God. You know our needs. We come before you in this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.